Some people like to keep it a secret. They won't show it to anyone. Some people not only won't show it in public, but they refuse to show it in private, even with those with whom they share a bed. What is it, you wonder? Well, it's appreciation. It is precious in personal relationships, and perhaps even more potent in business relationships. Appreciation and gratitude. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. On my life, watching America. On my life, it's panic in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. Consider what it would be like to work in an environment where gratitude, genuine gratitude, was seen as a reciprocal blessing. You're my life, you're my breath, you're a smile, you're my guest, you're the earth, you're the sun, you're the grass, you are love, you're my hands, you're a bug, you're my eyes, you're a hug, you're the light in the dark, you're the spark, you are fun, you're my mom, you are water, you're the stars, you're my daughter, you're my friend till the end, you're my dreams, you're my father, you're the ants on the ground, the miracles that surround, I'm feeling it all around, the hemisphere in the clouds, you're my pain, you're my sorrow, you're my hope for tomorrow, you're the strength when I'm hollow, you're the path that I follow, you're the blessings that exist, the small things that are bliss, the gift to realize that Everything all that I love Canada. Now, this show, I might add, is not called Watching Canada. It's called Watching America. Although, if we consider the continent, then I guess you could look at Canada as being, obviously, a part of America. And as some Canadians will appropriately point out, actually, Canadians are Americans versus U.S. citizens. I like people from Canada. And I like it when there's an American who lives in Canada. And that's Michelle Bailey, the author of The Currency of Gratitude, Turning Small Gestures into Powerful Business Results. One of the things you're going to immediately like about her is her candor. She's not afraid to say that she's had failures in business and she's had some big owies along the way. And we'll find out how she learned to deal with them. But she is also an expert about bringing businesses to fruition. She is the CEO of My Big Idea, a mentoring wellness workshop program. Additionally, she has also been a CEO of The Blazing Group. It's kind of a branding culture agency. I think you will recognize that we're dealing with a lady who likes business, but also likes people. And hence, her activities are based on the very concern of how to develop the best in people as individuals and business employees. With that said, let me welcome Michelle Bailey, the author of The Currency of Gratitude, Turning Small Gestures into Powerful Business Results. Michelle Bailey, welcome to Watching America. Thank you, Alan. I'm so excited to be here today. Now, um, I reference the fact that you grew up in America. So uh, I have to ask, how did you wind up in Canada and where in the States were you born? I was actually born in Barrie, Vermont, and spent most of my childhood in Manchester, New Hampshire. And then I went to the island of Haiti in the Caribbean and lived there for two years. Ended back up in New York City, then Michigan, and went to university up here in Canada near Toronto and ended up marrying a Canadian. Hence, I now live in Toronto, Oakville, Canada. Well, you have a penchant uh, interest, uh, a desire for business. Was that discernible in you as a little girl? Did you do the proverbial lemonade stand type thing or was it a surprise to you? As a little girl, I actually uh, created greeting cards and sold them door to door in Manchester, New Hampshire on uh, Old Bay Street. 
Um, but when I went into university, I really wanted to be a physician, a doctor, just like my father. I couldn't grasp chemistry, physics, mathematics, uh, biology the way I should have. So I then turned to business and got a business degree. But what I love about business and what we're doing at Blazing is using creativity to solve business challenges. And specifically, how, how is that occurring? It is occurring because Blazing is a marketing and advertising agency. So me as a business first focused individual, I need to find out what the goals and objectives of the business are. And then we have to come back to them with a strategy, which often involves creativity to solve their business problems and needs and help them grow. So is it fair to say that um, obviously you're, you're an advisor and uh, you come in as an outside entity to observe an organization? Uh, are you to some degree looking for their blind spots? I am looking for their blind spots and I'm looking for their unique selling propositions that maybe they don't see themselves. That's our job to uncover them and once we do to promote them. Now, as I understand it, uh, Michelle, you got your initial start with somebody who said they were going to be uh, your key client and that they would be your first client. And moreover, they promised a million dollars or thereabouts to set you up. And so you said sayonara, goodbye to a, a very stable, good job and took them at their word. And then you felt the smack and sting of somebody not following through with what they said. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely, Alan. It was a very large retail client that I was working on uh, nonstop at the previous agency where I was employed. And when I told her I was thinking of starting my own business because I wanted to find joy and happiness and look forward to every day, she said to me, Michelle, go start it. You will be so busy. I will give you so much business. You will have to ramp up and employ a lot of people very quickly. So don't worry. I'm there. Go do what you need to do. And nothing happened. There were no returns to my emails, my phone calls, my text. I had left everything and had a three-year-old and a little girl under the age of one. And my husband had already started his entrepreneurial journey uh, two years earlier. And we were left with absolutely no stability. One of the things that can happen is when somebody is uh, genuine themselves and reliable and responsible, they tend to assume that others are also. And then when they do find that they've been pulled up short by somebody who hasn't delivered or followed through with their, their so-called allegiance or promise to deliver, they can turn on themselves, at least for a season, and be angry at themselves. I mean, people who fall in love and then discover that they've fallen in love with somebody who wasn't worthy of their love can often feel this. So I want to talk to the Michelle who went through that experience. Did you go through not only, I presume, anger, frustration, but did you go through a phase of self-punishment, saying, how can I be so silly to fall into such folly. How did you handle that emotionally? I had a fear. I think my overarching emotion was fear that I couldn't make my mortgage payments, that I couldn't pay childcare, that I couldn't put food on the table. So I, I felt a lot of fear and I felt extremely let down by an individual who i have been doing business with for several years because I trusted her and took her at her word. And she cost me so much emotionally, financially, spiritually, because I really grappled with how can I trust people when something like this happens? Spiritually, you mentioned, uh, and one of the things I find that people tend to neglect to even consider that people have that in their life, either consciously or unconsciously, but um, we do. Uh, were you feeling let down by God? perhaps, in the midst of this and saying, like, dear maker in heaven, how can you let this happen? Where do I go now? How did you walk through that, if you will, crisis of faith, not only in persons, but perhaps in the divine? I didn't have a crisis of faith in the divine, but I must tell you, I went to church every Sunday and asked for help of what do I do now? 
Mm-hmm. There was no blame mm-hmm. for me, for God. It was, I've made my own decision. What do I do now? How do I get out of this? Because I have a family to provide for. Where did forgiveness come in, if it did at all? I mean, this is many years later, and that which is seemingly horrible in the end can work to the good. Uh, Was there a period where you finally were able to arrive at forgiveness, or do you still sometimes have perhaps an aftermath of a sting and feel, I'm still annoyed about that? Where where are you in relation to this incident? Alan, I'm still annoyed by it. I'm annoyed by it because I never got closure on this. I wasn't able to connect with her and tell her what her false promises had cost me in so many different areas of my life. So I don't have closure. That would be a good way to put it. And did she just, I mean, totally evaporate? I mean, did you try through third parties to get to her and say, look, you know, there needs to be uh, literally and figuratively an accounting here uh, because of what you've done to me? And to no avail, no one was able to make contact with her. And uh, you know what? I didn't try, Alan. At that point, I just needed to get on with the business of getting on. Gotcha. And I never tried. And you know what? And back probably after this call, Maybe I'm going to look her up and see if, if she's still somewhere around because I'd like to close that because people shouldn't be able to do that to other people and not understand the repercussions that it had throughout their journey. And what does your heart want to say to her and what does your mind want to say to her? My heart wants to tell her that I trusted someone and had a lot of respect for you and you let me down. And my head wants to tell her that you cost me so much grief and loss that I can't reclaim it at this particular time. There's another instance in my business career where I was very much let down um, by the general manager at the time through embezzlement of my firm. And, you know, someone asked me from his church several years ago, can you forgive him? And I told them, nope, I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm still, several years later, not there yet. I want to encourage you because I I think that um, it is sometimes uh, damaging to suggest to people that they should automatically go from zero to forgiveness. I think it's a process. And um, I really appreciate and have great respect for you, Michelle, for your candor and honesty about these struggles that you have. Um, I do hope, not only for you, but for all of us, that we can always get to the point of eventual forgiveness. Forgiveness, as you know, um, doesn't mean that what somebody has done is right or even excusable, but is uh, a decision to release. And um, I'm sure that these persons, at least one hopes, we may be totally wrong, but we at least hope that these persons are cognizant of the pain that they've caused. And who knows, maybe they will become uh, even in a position to uh, experience it, not directly, but indirectly, the, the pain that they've caused. Now on to happier moments. You are a strong woman. Uh, you couldn't have been uh, otherwise to have gone through the two betrayals that you've gone through and been able to continue. You are in a great position to advise and counsel people who may be in similar circumstances. There are people listening to us right now who are either starting a business, have started a business, and have gone through some severe bumps of some sort, or even out and out great trauma. What's your advice to them? What's step one? Build your tribe. Build those people, your support network, that aren't people who just say yes to everything it is you do. You build a tribe of people who will challenge you and look out for you for the better good, not just to be um, going along with whatever your ideas are. In fact, when I tell people to build a support network, I'm talking about build people in different buckets, professional people, financial people, people who will help you emotionally, people who will help you with your career, mentors, family and friends and peers, look at all those circles and start to populate those circles with people 
who you trust implicitly because you are going to have to lean on them, not only on the good times, but on the bad. Because as a business owner, we ride those waves up and down and you need to have people who are going to watch your back every time you need them to. Well, it's a generalized concept. It has a technical uh, aspect to it uh, as far as the theory, but virtually everyone on the planet is aware of the idea of groupthink. How do you ensure, Michelle, and I, I sensed in your, in your answer just a moment ago that you are cognizant of not having yes men or women around you. How do you still find the strength to resist that temptation of simply going with people that are, are greasing the works, if you will, and make things seem easy when you actually need someone once in a while to come and tap you on the shoulder or even pull you on the shoulder and say, hey, Michelle, look what's happening here. Wow. You know what? I look for those people because I know those people are going to force me to grow. And I look for people I admire and for people who have accomplished things I hope to yet one day accomplish. Those are the kind of people that don't say yes to you. And if they are true mentors, they will challenge you and they will, you can see it in their eyes and their faces when you're talking to them. You know what? Not a good idea. Or let me share from experience, Michelle, something that I did that perhaps you could learn from. You always have to have an open mind and be ready to learn, absorb, and listen. And Alan, I would also tell you to listen carefully when they aren't saying anything, but by their actions, you know that they're not approving of some of the decisions you're making. And how have you discerned that in the past? That's interesting. Body language, mm -hmm. silence, mm -hmm. when they're not um, engaged in what it is you're saying. Often, if I'm talking to several people and I see some people don't quite seem engaged and are quiet and not contributing to the conversation, I will have a follow-up conversation. Instead of calling them out with other people in the room, I will have a follow-up one-on-one and I ask the hard questions. I say to people, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to know. When you start a business, um, there comes great disillusionment. And I'm not talking about the territory we've just covered with people betraying you or, or not following through. But there becomes disillusionment at various phases of it. Uh, and it is like a journey. Um, you know, there's there's a concept in drama of, of the hero's journey. And, uh, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell spoke about this in mythology that you go from the known world to the unknown world. Um, the known world is where you're born and the thing that you can do in your career. You go to the unknown world, which may or may not be another geography graphical location but the unknown world is a new experience so for instance the student who's never been to college goes to college it's the new world to them as they are freshmen for the person who starts out with a business you go from the unknown world to establishing uh, a new world that you're going into uh, which is yet another unknown world and in the process then comes great adversity and then high moments how have you learned to ride through these well, I've been an entrepreneur for 26 years because when you take care of your people, they take care of you and sticky people stay and they watch your back. There are different types of bosses that one can encounter. You're a CEO, chief executive officer of your own corporation, your own company. And in leadership styles, and particularly when you have a cherished, developed team that you've just described that you like to work with and have uh, had for decades. There's a role of kind of being a mentor, uh, coach, and sometimes uh, almost maternal, like they're your kiddies and you're helping them develop and, and grow. So you have to vacillate between that, uh, the very much the way a mother vacillates between being nurturing to her children at the same time a disciplinarian. Uh, how do you know the right balance in doing that? Uh, that is a, a, a unique question with lots of answers. So the clearest way, Alan, I, I think I can answer this, and this is learned through experience, because I used to always mother um, my employees. I used to, to be trying to fix things all the time. Hmm. And it was one of my mentors who said to me, Michelle, your employees aren't your family. They're your community. 
And in a community, people rely on one another. It's not just about you. It's about all of us. And as a community, you are interconnected. So lean on each other when you need to. And I have found that very helpful with my team. So you reject that old, uh, really tried and overworked phrase, we're a family. Um, you know, there's there's a major Italian restaurant in the United States, and uh, uh, I won't mention what it is because um, I don't want to cause offense to people, but they're an Italian restaurant, uh, national chain. And their big thing is, you know, when you come to us, your family. And I always think, well, you know, at the end of a meal at my uh, family's homes, uh, different persons are now relatives. I don't get handed a check. And I've always resented, even in the workplace, we're a family. And the truth is, one isn't a family. It's, it is a work environment. Did it take you a long time to abandon that, that concept? Or was it a quick awakening when the person shared that information with you, that you are a community? It was a very quick awake, awakening. Um, this particular uh, mentor of mine, Marg, I watched her grow her company from $2 million to $50 million in eight years. Wow. And um, yeah, amazing accomplishment. And she told me she was able to achieve things like that because it was a community. And she quit mothering her people, which she did from the very start when they were under 20 employees. And she, the pearls of wisdom that come out of my mentors' mouths are invaluable, Alan. I will have mentors until the day I die. Now, you are a big believer in being active and moving uh, forward for purpose and achievement. Uh, you have said elsewhere that patience is a virtue uh, only in terms of waiting in traffic, uh, but not outside of that, not in your personal or professional life. You should not be patient. Uh, how does that manifest itself? For me, it's drive. It's drive. It's ambition. The ambition, it's always moving forward. It's making sure to um, not stay stuck. I hate being stuck and I always want to be growing. So that's where my lack of, of patience comes from. So let's turn our attention to a concept which is paramount for you, and that is gratitude. Uh, you believe that it's essential that one expresses, and I emphasize this word, which I'm sure you will want to clarify, genuine gratitude. In other words, it's not a falsehood where you try and artificially manufacture it, but you do express gratitude. Um, how did you hit upon this idea? Uh, how long have you been practicing it? And what has been the fruit born from it as a practice? Well, I've always been a gracious person. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning of, of the interview, um, I made and drew handmade thank you cards uh, and sold them door to door uh, for a very long time in Manchester, New Hampshire. So I've always been a grateful person. My please, my thank yous, trying to be present when people are talking to me. But it really hit home for me when my company was in the midst of an embezzlement from my former general manager, who basically I had been paying him for three and a half years to steal from me every day. And when he was arrested and charged with embezzlement, so many people stepped in. We talked about tribes earlier. I had people step in, bankers, um, consultants, lawyers, uh, accounting firms, mentors, peers, friends, family, so many people stepped in to help me because I was probably, it was one of the most painful experiences of my life, both personally and professionally. I absolutely had no trust in myself or my abilities. Um, I owed so much money everywhere and had to try to figure out how to pay that back. I had clients that expected us to continue to do awesome work for them. I, it was such a terrible personal time in my life that I probably had a nervous breakdown, but it didn't realize I had a nervous breakdown because I had to keep on going. I had a business to run and people relied on me, not only staff, but clients, suppliers, vendors, et cetera. 
So people stepped in. They stepped in so I could step up and they walked alongside of me in so many different ways. They showed up and gave me what I needed. And some of these relationships lasted for 18 months where people had to help me try to get through all the legal, financial, all the implications that embezzlement brings to a business. So when I was walking on my own two feet, I thought to myself, my goodness, a simple thank you to all these people that showed up is not enough. So what I did, Alan, is I sat down and I crafted seven questions that if I answer those questions honestly and gave them to each person who had helped me, they would realize the impact they had on my life and how they helped this entrepreneur, boss, mom, colleague, how they helped me through. So I created these these seven questions, Alan, and, and I'll share them with you. Please. One word that describes you. The next sentence is, you came into my life. You bring me joy by. You contribute to my life by. You are special to me because. I hope to add to our journey together by. And I want to thank you for. Those seven questions have changed my relationships, not only with the people who supported me through my crisis, but I started writing out the answers to these questions to many, many people, teachers from kindergarten, high school, um, neighbors, uh, you know, as far back as New Hampshire. I started writing out these cards and some of these people have passed but I still wrote them a card because I believe that they can hear what it is I wanted to tell them. Yes. And it, the, the joy, you know, I thought it was a gift I was giving to others, but in turn, it came back to me threefold. People were absolutely flabbergasted. People would cry in front of me. People would hold the card and say, I didn't know that I made that much of an impact on your life. Mm. What I wanted to do is none of us are here today where we are without help along the way. Take three minutes, write a card, answer questions similar to this, and let people know how they've impacted your life. And once I started, Alan, with those cards, I can't stop. It just keeps on going. And a gift that I thought I was giving to others again, has come back to me threefold. It's certainly a component of love, uh, not a necessary element of love, because one can love the unlovable, I believe. Uh, My faith teaches me that. But a component of love uh, for most of us is, is appreciation. So you could suggest that by expressing this appreciation, you're also expressing at least... A degree of love, uh, and obviously love is a very vague term in our culture, but um, you're expressing at the, the very least loving thoughts. I not only have a strong feeling of I never know when I'm going to see somebody for the last time, but I don't know <laughs> that they might be seeing me for the last time. In other words, I don't presume I'm always going to be here uh, because I'm not. None of us are. But I am very conscious of thanking people uh, and have been. Uh, there is a danger to it, I've discovered, uh, because people can mis- if, if they are suspicious and may, they may have reason from their own experience to be suspicious, as, for instance, somebody who's been through what you've been through would have ample reason to be suspicious of others. But sometimes they're distrusting. But I almost think, this is going to sound really weird, it's an insult to God not to thank people for who they are, because I see them as a great um, gift in our lives. It seems to me that there is a, a, a spiritual element to this whole thesis that you have. How did you come up with those particular questions? Um, I came up with those particular questions um, after my father passed and I was having a hard time dealing with the grief that overwhelmed me. I couldn't step out of my own way and and 
because I had held my tears back so much when I needed to cry, I couldn't. So what I did is I sat down and I wrote him a letter. And I wrote him a letter telling him all the things that I really appreciated that he did for me, how he mentored me, how he raised me, how he forced me to learn and grow. So I wrote him a long letter. And when I finished that long letter, there was such a sense of relief Mm. in my body that I thought, I don't want people to die before I acknowledged the impact they've had on my life. Absolutely. Yes. So what are the questions I can answer to let people know of the contribution they have made to me? And that's when I sat down and wrote those seven questions. I have to ask you, we have careers uh, and they are meaningful and they're important, but they're not necessarily our life's purpose. Our life's purpose, I conclude, can be immersed in what we do for our careers. It seems to me, Michelle, and by the way, let me remind the audience with whom I'm speaking. I'm speaking with Michelle Bailey, uh, who is a very successful uh, CEO and business leader, uh, but very successful because she's uh, travailed and overcome uh, great obstacles in her life and business, uh, personally and professionally, and has come out the other side with integrity and candor and honesty, which uh, inspires uh, strength and hope and resilience in others who are fortunate to hear her. She is the CEO of The Blazing Group, uh, which was uh, an advertising agency of a sort, but much more, and is also now currently also the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of My Big Idea. It would seem to me that you have your career, which is very, very evident. But Michelle, it seems to me that your life's purpose is immersed with what you do within your career, that your real life's purpose, perhaps, if I'm not being too forward and and don't hesitate to rectify or correct me, I, I welcome that. It seems to me that the life purpose, or at least a part of it, component of it, is to awaken in people genuine gratitude Uh, and appreciation for others, this world, and that you are just willingly, you know, able to apply it to business encounters, which is perfectly legitimate. But would you say that your life's purpose is distinct or different from your career purpose? Boy, Alan, what a loaded question. And what I will say to you is um, the 26 years of blazing and then the five years of my big idea have brought me to the journey I am right now. And that is really my goal is to show people, leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, regular people, how easy gratitude is and how small gestures make a huge impact. It changes relationships. It changes lives. It lets people know that They matter and you care. I felt compelled to write this book, The Currency of Gratitude, because it's a passion of mine. And I've distilled it down to such simple ways to show gratitude that I want, I would love a gratitude movement to start and people really go out of their way to show appreciation and how quickly and simply it can be done. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. It costs time, effort. You know, gratitude shows up in so many different ways. Choose a way that will resonate with the person you want to express gratitude to. And sometimes it's as simple as active listening with no judgment. Mm. It can be as simple as letting silence do the lifting. Yes. You know, there's so many ways to show gratitude that I just need to get this message out because I do feel that everything I've done to now is to really um, focus on gratitude. The world is in dire need. 
Um, you must have an exceptional relationship with your team. It's very evident to me why you do have the team that you have. Now, the title of your book, and I want to emphasize this, is The Currency of Gratitude. And again, we're talking with Michelle Bailey. Uh, currency is to and fro. It's circulated. Have you witnessed perhaps a prickly person, somebody a bit uh, with a bit of an angst or anger or what have you, and you've written them a card of gratitude? And have you seen it perhaps in others, maybe not grumpy people, but born out with them doing the same thing? I mean, you've, you wind up being a model to others to appreciate gratitude. Have you witnessed that in your own life? I have. And I have to tell you, I've written some gifts of gratitude notes to people that don't like me or people who have been really hard on me. I've written notes to people within my own family who I have challenges with because I still want them to recognize that I'm not the easiest person for them to get along with. I recognize that, but I still appreciate them. But what comes to mind is I wrote a gift of gratitude card to one of our clients an Italian gentleman who was quite tough on me. And I wrote him a gift of gratitude. I answered those seven questions and I gave it to him over a lunch. This man taught me a lot. He wasn't always gentle, but he was always fair. So I wrote this note to him and I gave it to him. And he just, he, he couldn't say anything. He just kept looking at the note and he closed it and he put it aside and we continued with our lunch several months later i ran into him and his wife at a fundraising event and his wife came over to me and she said you know that gratitude card you wrote my husband and i said yeah she goes it's in a shadow box hanging in our living room <laughs> and i just looked at him and um he looked at me and said I want to remind myself always that I've had an impact at least on one person. Oh, and you oh, told me yes. how I impacted your life. And he said, and I am grateful. Yes. How beautiful. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think it's important. And you obviously seem to be a practitioner of this by the things you've said already. I think it's important to look for the good even in, in uh, perhaps unwelcomed personalities in our lives, because there's always good. I'm going through it right now with uh, an extended relative who is extremely difficult to deal with, but I don't address that. I, I, with them, I keep recognizing their goodness where it is. And, um, you know, we all know that pain tends to breed pain if it's unbridled and not uh, uh, directed correctly. Um, but some people are suffering in, in ways that we can't imagine. They have a hard exterior, uh, a seemingly indifferent exterior. exterior. But we, we don't know their story. We don't know what they've been through. And um, expressions of kindness and love, like you're talking about, is medicinal for the soul and the psyche. Um, what's your what's your big dream about this 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 campaign that you have this mission? I think is a better word to put it regarding this currency of gratitude. What do you want to see happen next, Michelle? I would love to see corporate corporations embrace the thought of branding from within. When you let people know that they are important and that they matter, and you care, mm. you resonate out, you create brand ambassadors. And with so you create brand ambassadors, you create brand loyalty, which builds up your brand awareness, which increases your profits and drives business growth. Because today, 80% of people working are burnt out today. Yes. 62% of people today are looking for a new job. And when a person leaves your company, it costs 33% of that person's salary to hire a replacement. Those stats and numbers alone are a business case for gratitude and yes. recognizing that people matter and they need to be heard and they need to be felt as if you care and you get it back in spades. 
I started this journey because I started to look in my own company. Why do people stay at Blazing and my big idea when the industry average is 18 months? Why is my average here at the company 11 years? That's a big difference. And then I started to dissect the fact that I am grateful, I appreciate, I acknowledge, I support, and I care. And I think that is why my people stay. And they are always watching my back, just like I'm watching theirs. So we are a great community together. People genuinely do legitimately want to feel safe. And I think they want to feel safe to be able to make mistakes. Michelle, in the midst of all of this gratitude that you express, how do you handle it when employees make mistakes? And how do you foster an atmosphere where they will feel free to come and say, look, uh, Ms. Bailey or Michelle, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I, I really made a mistake here. How do you respond to that? Well, I have a great managing partner, Eric Marshall, who is an incredible individual to allow people to fail and not chastise them for it. Yes. We might do a post-mortem on the job or the project, but also he is one who doesn't pass judgment. So you feel safe to tell him when things haven't gone well. And he will look at you often and say, okay, so we learned from this. Or what's a solution you think we can provide the client because of this? What's another uh, situation we might be able to assist them with? When you allow people to feel safe, they fail and they fail quickly. And then they get back up and they start uh, on another path, which is usually much better and when you allow them to fail, they learn from their mistakes, but you don't want them living in fear. Yes. So that's why you have to be accepting. And, you know, I had to make a client call yesterday to a client. Um, we are not, we weren't going to deliver on the timeline that we had promised. And we weren't able to deliver on the timeline because one of the people on the team is so anxious with COVID going on that they were paralyzed by fright to go to work. When you talk about feeling safe, paralyzed. Mm. So I called up the client, was very transparent. This is what's happening. This is what we're doing to rectify the situation. These are other areas we think we should be looking at. And are you okay if we're two weeks late on our delivery? And this is what we're going to do to ensure that nothing is missed. Great conversation, Alan. Appreciated the candor. Very large company. Like, let's just be transparent. I'm speaking with Michelle Bailey. You're listening to Watching America. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and I am delighted to have her as my guest. Her latest book or, or her new book is The Currency of Gratitude, uh, as uh, illustrated by her career and her life and her genuine, authentic approach to all of her business dealings, relational dealings and personal dealings, even with members of her family, which leads me to my next point. Have you found um, a parallel between how you lead your own family or have with children as you've raised them uh, and the things you've learned in that environment and the business world and conversely, vice versa? Have you been able to found that, if you will, the currency of gratitude works equally effectively in the home domestic realm as it does in the professional? It works as powerfully in both areas. In fact, um, uh, I have different questions actually for uh, that I answer for business colleagues uh, versus personal, but they're still very intense questions. And what I have found with people is it also creates boundaries. And healthy boundaries make for healthy relationships. Explain that. Boundaries. What are healthy boundaries? Um, th there was a book that came out, I think, 15, 20 years ago, which was called Boundaries. Uh, how does one have a healthy boundary? And when, moreover, perhaps, I think the key question is, how do you know when those boundaries have been violated, either by ourselves or perhaps by others in our realm? You know, when the, the boundaries are violated, you feel less safe and you might be a little fearful. Um, 
I'll take boundaries of toxic people. We all have toxic people in our life. When I was going through my really difficult time in business, I actually sat down and I, I put a piece of paper out and I wrote down three columns, uh, negative energy, neutral energy, and positive energy. And under all those columns, I listed people for me that were giving me negative energy, people who were energy neutral, and people who gave me positive energy. And I made a commitment that I could not be around the negative energy people right now because I had nothing left to be taken out of me anymore. Absolutely. I was done. Yeah. People that were energy neutral, they didn't take energy, they didn't give energy, but I could be around them because they didn't make me anxious in any way. People with positive energy, I had to really fill up overflowing my cup with those people because I needed their energy to help me get through every day. So I created my own boundaries. And depending on how I was feeling that day is if I would allow anyone in the negative energy category to even come anywhere close to me, whether it was a phone call, a Zoom call, what you know, it was in person. Know your boundaries and know what you can handle. Because no one has the right to take away our energies. You are a great believer in courtesy and kindness. Yes. Um, why? Asking the obvious. <laughs> yeah. Because small gestures of acknowledgement, empathy, gratitude make a huge difference to someone's day. Think about what happens when you go through a drive through coffee and you've been paid by the car in front of you and the car behind you, it continues on and on, paying it forward. It gives you an unexpected smile and bounce in your step. I think for most people, it would do that. So it's those unexpected little shows of gratitude and appreciation. I'm just using that as an example um, that really help brighten up someone's day. Because I go back to common courtesy isn't so common anymore. We've lost a lot of the niceties along the way. So, for instance, now when I go to a restaurant, I always ask the server, they're coming over, they're telling me all the specials. I just say, stop. What's your name? And I give, I, I do active listening. Mm. You should see how their face transforms. I, I know you're in a hurry. I just want to know your name. And then they start talking. When I stay in a hotel, I like to write a note the first day I'm there and I put in a big tip and I tell the housekeeping staff, thank you for ensuring that I have a clean room yes. and fresh towels every day. Yes. I won't see you, but I want you to know that I'm appreciating what it is you're doing to make my hotel stay easier. Those are two little simple examples that Everyone can employ. I couldn't agree with you more. Let me just, uh, if you'll forgive me for interjecting here. Uh, my wife and I have a policy of everywhere we go when we see somebody working. And very often, sometimes the most menial of tasks, you go into a supermarket and you see somebody is mopping a floor in an area. Uh, we will make a practice, and not because we're just trying to be nice people, but because we generally think like this. My wife and I will go up and say, thank you for doing that. You make our experience here so much better and safer and cleaner. And I know, imagine, probably imagine you don't have many people say that to you, but we just want to say it to you. Thank you so much. The face illuminates instantly, and then they start to engage in a little bit of a conversation. Martin Buber, the philosopher, spoke about one of two ways of looking at other humans, either an I-thou, recognizing the humanity of somebody, or an I-it. So when you're asking somebody their name, you are creating an I-thou relationship. You're recognizing their humanity. You know, we go out of the supermarket and uh, or we lay things down on the conveyor belt and doot, 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 you know, doot, doot, everything goes through. And I always try and establish eye contact with the person and a little bit of a conversation. And it might be something minuscule, you know, just like, oh, I like your brooch or something like that, whatever it may be. But it, it, it brings a lovely... Um, charming gilding to any day or any encounter. And these are not long-lasting relationships, but even if they're 30 seconds, in a sense, in a very small down, you know, microscopic sense, it is a 30-second relationship at least, and let's make it nice.
Alan, I don't have to teach you about the currency of gratitude. You've got it nailed. <laughs> oh, you're very sweet. Um, listen, I am so delighted that you've been a part of Watching America. And um, I, I just love the fact that, well, I'm going to come out and say it. You're loving. You're a loving businesswoman. And there's no shame in that. We live in a funny time when, you know, we will accept hostility and uh, brazenness and, uh, uh, and all kinds of negative things. But if somebody's loving, we're afraid to say it. You're very loving, very astute, very smart, very capable, and you are spreading good. And good is just that, good. Please come back again and join us when you have another publication or a book. Let me just uh, emphasize to everyone listening, I've been speaking with Michelle Bailey, and she is the CEO of The Blazing Group. She has been since 1994, and she also conducts seminars all over the place called My Big Idea, which helps to bring things to fruition. She has a knack, a gifting, if you will, for recognizing what others do not recognize and bringing it to the forefront so that all both business person and customer and client can benefit. And her latest book, again, is The Currency of Gratitude. Um, will you come back again the next time you have a publication, Michelle? Alan, I would come back so gladly. And I do have to tell you, uh, speaking with you this last hour, there's two gifts of gratitude I need to write. And those are for the two people that wronged me. I need to write those gratitude cards so I can forgive them and move on. Michelle, you're beautiful. Thank you so much for being a part of Watching America. Take care and God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to Watching America. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our assistant producer, Jordan Christie. Gina Gamboni is our senior producer. Chuck Dowd is our executive producer. And Heather Mazzoni is Chief of Content. Bert Schmidt is our CEO. I'm watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. Until next time, take care and blessings. Wait, one more, one more. This is for y'all. All that I am. All that I see. All that I've been. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.